Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Just a couple of important um, details. <clears throat> One is that a um, little bit of time after the service is over, as Alan already uh, mentioned in his prayer and as Rob mentioned in his announcements, we are having a carrying dinner, and you are all invited and welcome to stay for that. Um, the purpose of that is for enjoyment and fellowship, just to be together. Um, the purpose is not so that during a service all the aromas come up and torture you as you sit here and wait for that and keep saying, get done, Pastor Bud, get done. Um, no, that's not the purpose. So we are having that. You're welcome to do that. My big prediction for tonight's football game is it will take place. So uh, I don't think it'll get snowed out in Atlanta in a dome. So um, so it'll happen. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's football. I'm going to enjoy. I, I probably will watch. I don't. I rarely. I know it's hard to believe, but I rarely ever watch a complete sporting event. I just don't usually do it. Uh, most of it's because I'm not available or don't have the time. I, I probably will, but um, this one will be more enjoyable to me, mostly because I could care less who wins, and so that makes it really easy. Last year was really tense, and um, but it was fun. So, and I can still celebrate for another handful of hours. There are rules to belonging to something, aren't there? You are an American citizen. There are rules that you must abide by um, being an American citizen. Um, we're coming, if you haven't already done it, we're coming up to the time where we are financial calculations and then we pay our final indebtedness for living in, in the privilege of this particular land. And that's just stuff we know we do. If you join a club, uh, you have certain rules that you have to follow to be a part of that club. There may be some kind of a payment to join, or there may be some silly initiation that you do. Uh, they may have you wear a hat with a beanie on it and, and a little twirling propellers on top or whatever. There's all kinds of things that you have to do. If you join a sporting team, <clears throat> especially if it's already been an established team, then you might have to pay a fee or you might have to have a tryout. And once you join that team, you're given a uniform, which is usually the color of the team. And, um, you know, if you're where, if your team is red, black, and white, which is the right and normal colors of a team, um, you know, and you show up in green to play that day, they're not going to be, unless you're the goalkeeper, they're not going to like that. So, uh, and, and churches, the same kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we have things for membership, how to become a member, and there's certain uh, requirements and certain acts that you would participate in in order to do all that. As a follower of Jesus, uh, there's not a lot of that kind of stuff. There's no dues. You don't have to pay anything to follow Jesus. He did the main work for us. But there are, just like um, wearing a certain uniform is an indicator that you're a part of something. There are indicators that you are a part of the family of Jesus, the family of God. And uh, we've been looking at First John. This is our third attempt at this. 
And we're in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to about verse 11. And one of the things that we're going to see found in verses 3 through 6 is that having fellowship with Jesus, being part of his family and, and fellowshipping with him demands obedience. It demands obedience from us. Here's what it says. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, just to remind you that the overall theme of 1 John is that we would know, that we would know Christ. We would know that we have a relationship with him, that we would know that we are saved and, and are comfortable. In fact, in 1 John, five chapters, five chapters, 26 times he uses the word know. When I first went into ministry, um, that was at Worcester, there were individuals in the church that came to me because they were struggling with, I would call it, the assurance of their salvation. And they just weren't real comfortable with that. And I would tell them, read First John, it's just five chapters, and underline everything that it says you can know. Everything you can know. If God says you can know something, then guess what? You can know it. Uh, and so it's there. John says 26 times there's things we can know. When we get to 1 John 5.13, I think that's the whole central, the theme and everything there, where John says that you can know that you have eternal life. So my brothers and friends that say, oh, you can never know, you can't have assurance, you can lose or whatever, I'd say, well, then i got to rip 1 John out of my Bible because he seems to think we can know, and I tend to lean toward John because I like him. There's a series of tests here that uh, we're going to see. And um, in that fellowship that demands obedience, the first thing of the series of tests is, how can I know if I am in fellowship with God? Now, First John is a whole cycle of tests. Just keep rotating, rotating on. And it's to pile on for you the assurance that you belong to Christ and you are in with him. So that's really a great question to ask. How can I know if I'm in fellowship with God? How do I know if I'm a believer and I'm a follower of his? And how do I know if I have eternal life? How do I know these things? Here's a spoiler alert. There's a hint. If we keep his commandments. Now, if you want to go take a nap for the rest of this time so you're fresh and ready to go tonight at the football game, that's fine because that's what you need to know. If you obey the commands of Christ, then you're most likely a follower of his. Now, here we just read a couple of the tests, and they kind of take us back to chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, where there were some tests that were given. Uh, it talked there about the conflict that you can have, the conflict between obedience and disobedience, the conflict between darkness and light. Back in chapter 1, John used the idea of fellowship. But instead of using fellowship here, he's going to talk about knowing Christ. And I'm going to suggest to you that those parallel. They're the same concept. To know is to fellowship. To fellowship is to know. To know Christ is to have fellowship with him. 
And to have fellowship with Christ means that you know him. And John is doing that. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says that we would walk in the light. Here in chapter 2, verse 3, he says we keep his commandments. I'm telling you those are identical, same thing. He's just saying it in a different way. Uh, We walk in the light as he is in the light, and we keep his commands. Now, again, I'm going to mention to you that the whole idea of 1 John is to know stuff. And the word that's used here has to do with experientially know. You and I can know things. I know that rocket ships can go up into space and can land on the moon and uh, they can do certain things. My old friend Bob Piercy, who is the world's longest space engineer, um, and I've been with him lots of times and we talked about it. I know a lot of stuff about space travel, but I've never known it experientially. (laughs) And um, if I were ever to meet an actual astronaut, that would be exciting. But he would have experiences that I don't have. I mean, he could tell stories. I just have to sit back and in awe and listen to that. The same thing is true. There's a lot of people who can tell you things about Christ. They can tell you things about the Bible. They can tell you things about God. But they have yet to experience that. They have yet to know him and to walk with him and to fellowship with him. And then they have no obedience in their life. Now, I am going to remind you that there is a little bit of a subplot here that John, at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, is communicating to a church that has been well taught. They had the Apostle Paul, they've had Timothy, they've had just a whole list of Hall of Fame pastors at their church. So they knew a lot of stuff. But there was a culture that was rising, and a group called the Gnostics, and that's the Greek word for to know things. And they were ones who just saw that all this God stuff is all about knowledge, just know stuff. And um, he's kind of playing against that. Now, John's not specifically writing an argument against the Gnostics, but he is giving warning to the believers not to go that direction. It's not knowing about God. It's knowing God, knowing him personally. And this can only come from personal contact. It can only come from daily interaction. We obey and we keep the commands of Christ as a habitual practice. That is something that tells me that I'm doing the right thing. If I'm always seeking to obey Christ, trying to know what he wants me to do and to follow it, that's a good thing. Of course, we come up short, don't we? And we'll come to that a little bit later. Verse 4 has a claim, and the claim is, I know him. That claim can be true and that claim can be false. If it's false, that's really, really tragic. Really tragic. There's nothing worse in the world than somebody who does not know Christ as Savior. That is the worst thing that can ever happen to anybody. Uh, Christ is the only way of life and the only answer for us. The test here is, he says, I know him, but verse 4, he says... He does not keep his commands. He doesn't do that. Knowing Christ is not just an outward following of rules, by the way. You just don't uh, you know, do the things that people expect of you. But it has to do with a pleasure. I'm, I'm thrilled to do what God wants me to do. I, I want to keep the obedience alive. And it's all because I have this sacred trust with Christ. What he's done for me. 
I wish I would have brought this. I have a, a tremendous everyday devotional booklet that was written by a good friend, Charles Spurgeon, who lived like 150 years ago. And um, it is amazing. The one for yesterday was phenomenal. And he talked about how we don't owe God anything when it comes to justice. We don't, because Christ did it all. He paid for the price for us. But we owe him because of his selfless love. We owe him because of the grace that he's shown to us. He, we owe him because he sent his son. It's just we owe him so much, except for we don't have to pay for our sins. That we don't have to do. But we owe him our love. An expression of our love toward our command giver, Jesus, shows that we are walking with him and obey him. But here in verse 4, they were not doing that. They were not keeping the commands. They were getting head knowledge, but not... Some were. Uh, and it says, look what how he characterized them. He said, those people who say they belong to Christ and they're getting some head knowledge, but they're not following and obeying him, are a liar and no truth is in him. Now, I was taught as an early age by my parents, you'd never call anybody a liar. So, um, so I'll put that in quotes so that it's okay for me to say that and I won't get spanked. But... Um, it shows bad character. When somebody's a liar, that's bad character. When they're characterized by lying and the truth not being in them, it means they are lacking motivation. They don't have the truth. There's no reason for them to do all these good things. It's not enough to just say or profess something. It must come with obedience. But verse 5 takes that same test. And, um, you know, they said, I know him. And then the test goes on to say, but the one who keeps his word. Now, this is somebody who knows, says he knows Christ, and he obeys him. He does what Christ wants him to out of a heart motivated for him. And the result of that is that in him, the love of God is made complete or perfect, depending on how your translation handles that. When I say I love him, and I obey him, and I do what he wants me to do, and I follow him, then God's love can come into my heart and into my life and mature me. It's professing and obeying both sides of that coin. The love of God is perfected in him, it says. And that's, yeah, it's okay to say that, well, yeah, God's love for us, but that's actually saying it's the love for God or toward God. I just mature and I grow in, in how much I love God. You and I all know that love without action is incomplete. Ask any married couple what that would be like if that person said, oh, yeah, I love you. I just don't do anything about it. I can remember the old joke about I told you once, and if anything changes, I'll, I'll say so. But um, And it was cute and funny, but we want demonstrations of love, and we want to show it, and we want to show that toward Christ. We are in him. And that's synonymous with the fact that we know him. It's all about relationship with Christ. And the only sure indication that we have a relationship with Christ is an obedient heart. That's the only way we can know it and prove it. Um, we go from knowledge to love. In here, um, depends on which version you have, um, it'll either use the word abide or might use the phrase, live in him. It translates out of one Greek word, which means to continually 
have an intimate relationship, a deep relationship with Christ. That's why we had Alan read John chapter 15, because that whole passage is all about abiding in Christ, living in Him, and, and being connected to Him. And that's what separated the believers in the day of John when the Gnostics were trying to promote their views. Um, they were the ones who sought deeper knowledge. Um, didn't infect, it didn't affect their lives at all. Uh, they just wanted to know more, and the more they knew, the better off they thought they were. And it made me think about a phrase in Scripture where it says, they were ever seeking, yet never finding. Uh, their lives did not pass the test. There was no spiritual life, no spiritual growth. And that's happening around us today. There's people like that that, you know, they like to say, oh, yeah, I, I'm part of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But there's nothing there in their life that would indicate it. John uses the phrase about our walk, our walk with him. In chapter 1, he said that. That's figurative, of course, but it's talking about the conduct of our life. Uh, I like it in Proverbs, um, but it's just catchy to me in the King James where it says, even a child is known by his doings. I like the word doings. Um, don't use that except for when my kids were little. I would remind them of that. Um, you're known by your behavior. Everybody is known by how they behave. Um, there are certain students at the school, and if you said something to me about them, I would say, well, that kid's a great basketball player. Or I might say, well, that kid's really a good student. I know that the teachers appreciate that kid. Or I might say that that kid's really a nice person. And that's a good thing. We know them by certain things. That doesn't reveal their heart necessarily. I've been told you could be a great basketball player and not be a believer in Christ. I don't know how that happens, but, but it can happen. Um, there's a lot of things. We're known that way. We're known by our behavior. In the spiritual life, people know you. They know you. They know me. They, they see how we behave when we're out around them. And, and it's a testimony to them. A little bit on the church, but far more on Christ. And it really uh, says volumes to them as to what we believe about Christ. Your walk of life, your obedience to Jesus, tells everybody how strongly or weakly you believe in Christ as being the risen Savior, the Lord of the world. Uh, it's just all about how we live. It reveals who you are and whether or not you know him. And the scripture easily tells us we are to habitually uh, follow Christ and live for him. And our lives, somebody wrote, our lives show the excellencies. I like that word, spell check did not. But it says, our lives show the excellencies of the God who called us out of darkness into light. I like that. We have an excellent God, and our lives should portray that. So what you do and what you need to do is to ask the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus and then saturate yourself with his life. Read the scriptures, read the gospels, and learn about him. And the qualities of Christ's life are going to become a part of you. By the way, this is not exhaustive, but you may recognize this from Galatians chapter 5, 22. Um, it is called the fruit of the Spirit. The more obedient I become to Christ, the more 
submissive I come to Christ, the more I desire to walk with Him and to know Him and to fellowship with Him. These are characteristics that were very strong in Jesus' life. These are the things that described who He is and was. This is not exhaustive. There's 172 others that we could have put up there. It just wouldn't fit on the screen. But this is what Scripture gave us about the fruits of the Spirit and how we will grow. So if you are a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, the way we know it is you're maturing in these areas. You're growing in love. You're growing in joy for Him. You're gaining in your peace with Him. You're becoming patient with people. You're being kind to other people. Uh, There's goodness that comes from you. You're faithful to Christ and to other things as well. Gentleness and self-control. All these things are the stepping stones that that you grow in, I go in, and they become more like Christ. Now, there probably are things up here that you're better at than the other things. I don't remember what year it was. It was like 25, 30 years ago. Uh, I preached through all these in the fall. And then on New Year's Eve, we came together, and I handed out envelopes and a printed piece of paper, and it said something on the paper about, Lord, I am committing this next year to growing in this area of my spiritual life. And I had you check that, stick it in the envelope, lick it, and seal it. And about June, I had Joan mail it all to you to remind you to see how you were doing in that. I thought that was a good exercise. By the way, I was really wimpy. Um, I chose faithfulness. But... um, that's something I, I don't have a whole lot of problem with. But um, but I also knew, man, that's going to be tested like crazy this year. So I didn't want to test love or any of the other biggies. So, um, But those are things that we need to grow in. All of us need to do that. We need to get a little bit better. In my Bible, I blue marked um, the word in verse 6 uh, where it says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Because it's that Greek word that I really, really... It's not my favorite Greek word, but it's one of them. And it's that word... uh, We've talked about it before because I use it with John 13 when Jesus says, if I wash your feet, you must wash... It's the word that has to do with a debt of obligation. Paul uses it in Philemon when he says, "If, if if he owes you, if Onesimus owes you anything, I am obligated to pay that back for him. It is a strong word that says here, I must walk as Jesus did. That's pretty important. And um, let's see here. All that parallels. Here's some parallels. Knowing him, being in him, and abiding him. That's all the same thing. Knowing Christ, being in Christ, abiding with him is the same thing. And then our actions, walking in the light, keeping his commands, walking as he walked, all that is synonymous with each other. It's the same thing. Uh, he repeats it over and over again. He says it from different directions and different ways and different angles to help us get a better handle on the fact that we must obey Jesus. Okay, let's go to verses 7 and 8 where it tells us about how that doesn't just demand obedience, but it demands our love. And it says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. His truth is seen in him and you, 
because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Interesting. Um, verse 7 starts off in the New International as dear friends. Uh, some have it translated beloved, which is the right one. Some have the word brethren. Um, it's the plural form of agape in a noun form. Um, so I think it's talking about beloved, and it makes sense because he's talking to his loved ones, and he's going to talk to them about the test of love. John writes about family things all the time. He mentions in here the father, the son, the little children, the blessed brothers, beloved brothers. Did you know that John mentions the father more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined do in his writing? He's very family-minded. Uh, he's talking about those who are united in Christ. And he says that uh, I'm giving you an old command that is actually a new command. And, uh, and that can get really confusing. He says it's uh, from the beginning. When he says that, he's not talking about chapter 1, verse 1 here or in John 1, 1, the beginning of uh, time as we know it. He's not talking about that. He's talking about early on beginning. And uh, it's an old familiar command. In fact, uh, here's how uh, Jesus put it. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's the command. I think that's what we have in your bulletin today for the verse of the week. I wanted to add on the next phrase, too, from verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because that is a test of love that John is giving us to show the rest of the world that we are genuine, sincere, for real believers in Christ. It has validity to follow Jesus because we have a, a continual giving love relationship with each other, and it's powerful. It's not a new command. Uh, in fact, Jesus gave this part of it 55 years earlier. That's not new. Uh, things that you and I did 55 years ago are not new today. Um, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Leviticus 19, 18, God said to Israel not to have any vengeance, not to hold grudges, but to love your neighbor as yourself because I am the Lord God. So 1,500 years earlier, he gave that same command. So it's old in that sense. It's been around. Uh, there was never a time when we were exempt not to love people. That's never been there. But it's new in another sense. It's new and different because this world is crazy <laughs> and for people to actually sincerely loves other people that's unheard of today nobody does that it's new um, in that it's showing that we're true to christ he showed what love really is nobody understood love until the crucifixion and the resurrection they talked about it they tried to do things with it but uh, they didn't understand it in, in reality. There's a newness because it's in you as well, uh, in your experience. The darkness is passing away. That's going away. You are a new, loving creation in Christ. And why do we do all that? That's what the verse 35 is about. It's all about reaching others for him. This loving one another, John writes, 
as a dominant commandment because he writes it at least six times that that's what we are supposed to do. Well, then there's the test of love, the obedience and the love, and it's all applied in verses 9 through 11. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So there's a claim. He claims it. He says he's in the light. The test is he hates his brothers. And the result is he's still in darkness. He's not a follower of Christ. He's not a believer. Uh, to be in the light means walking in the light, walking with him. God is light. So we live in truth and holiness. The Gnostics claimed to have had light, but they never exhibited obedience or holiness. When you're part of the family, you love your brother, you love your sister. In the family of God, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a habitual thing. Uh, every one of us have had moments of frustration with each other. Uh, if you're human, that's happened. We all understand that. But we're talking about patterns and how to get along in the body of Christ. By the way, that's why I think longevity in ministry is really, really important. Uh, and I, I mean at one location. Because I don't think we've done anything great here except we've learned how to love each other. And that's a pretty powerful thing to do in the body of Christ. That's what's really significant. It's the pattern there. If a person has a general disdain for other believers, then that's a sign you might still be in darkness. Um, I understand people can be frustrating, but that to be that way characteristically, habitually, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. So the habitual practices John is telling us about is to love believers, and it shows some evidence. Um, it will tell us that um, in verse 10, that you're abiding, uh, you're living in the light. And that's good, because God is light. In verse 6, it tells us that we abide in Him. In verse 14, it tells us that He abides in us. And that's a great thing, too. We'll see that next week in verse 17 as well, where it says we will abide forever. It says in, in, in here that, um, the end of verse 10, that uh, when, you're, when you're doing the right thing, you're living in the light, that you don't make others stumble. The word stumble there um, <clears throat> means it, it, it could be a trap, like baiting a trap, or just a stumbling block. Most scholars translate it as a stumbling block. But it's the Greek word that we brought into the English language that we use the word scandal. <laughs> That's the word that was used here. Since he's not in the darkness, he can see where he's going. I told Andrew the long version of this, but last night I walked through here carrying some stuff in the dark. I made a shortcut. I decided at the last second I'm going to go down the center aisle in the dark, wider, and I hit that step down there at the right time, and I thought, Lois has a broken leg. I now have a broken leg, but I didn't. So, uh, so that was good. Verse 11 was repeating uh, an emphasis, but this time in the negative. He, he usually started with the negative and goes to the positive. This time he did it the other way around. The one here who um, has that disdain is not one of the redeemed. He is still stumbling 
and walking in darkness. So let's think of some of the links, the proofs. How do you know if you are in fellowship with God? How do you know that? Well, here we've seen a few of these links. The first link being walking in the light. The second link was obeying the commandments. The third link was imitating his walk. And the fourth link is loving the brethren. Those are things that are strong indicators in your life that you're doing the right thing, that you are living like Christ wants you to do, and you will be able to continue to have an impact and a testimony for him. We'll leave that on the screen for a little while. I know people are taking notes, but let's pray, and then we'll continue on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the guidance that John gives to us. This is a pastor who's seen it all, uh, way more than we've ever will ever experience. And he walked with you, Jesus, face to face, hand in hand, uh, throughout his young adult life, and then fellowshiped with you and grew in you for decades afterwards, serving you faithfully. And his wisdom is really, really helpful to us because we struggle sometimes just because we fail and we don't feel like we're doing and strongly what you want us to do. Thank you so much for uh, giving us the guidance so that we can stay true to you, stay in the light. And that darkness is passing away. It's slow and gradual, but it happens. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, help us through the Holy Spirit to live the characteristics that our Savior Jesus displayed when he was here. Help us to be loving, joyful, peaceful, faithful, good, uh, self-control, all those various fruits and so much more that are according to the will of our Savior Jesus. Help us to do that so that others can come to know Christ. And even more than that, so that you would be glorified. We ask it through Christ our Savior. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.